Radio Mano Papachango. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to my homemade podcast. This is Dr. Christopher Ryan coming to you from my little living room here in Topanga, California. Hope everything's going well for you out there in the world. Um, yeah, I still, you know, four or five years into this, I still feel like I'm talking to myself. And I am, actually. I'm, I'm sitting here talking to myself. I could delete this start over again and I would have been talking to myself or I could just let it go and then it's somehow I'm not talking to myself it's all very very strange <clears throat> anyway let's just pretend I'm not talking to myself let's pretend I'm talking to you which I guess I am uh in any case I am having a good time here back in Topanga getting some really good podcasts recorded. I did one today with Hunter Motts, who came up to my place and we hung out. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like, I love these podcasts because you might have an idea of what you're going to talk about. You might even just not have an idea, but in the first few minutes, as happened today, you sort of start off on a topic, like Hunter said. So, how was your summer? What'd you see in the van? And I got as far as I think like the first three days in the van trip and then we just veered off into whatever came up, you know, just spontaneous stuff. Um, we never talked about the eclipse, never talked about Burning Man, never talked about Idaho. I mean, we didn't talk about 95% of what I did this summer, but uh, that's the sign of a good podcast when you never get to the stuff you thought you were going to talk about, I guess. You, you're the judge of that. Um, anyway, so I'm going to release that soon. We're going to co-release it. He does a podcast, for those of you who don't know, called Mixed Mental Arts, um, often with uh, Brian Callen, a stand-up comic based here in L.A. and sometimes on his own. But um, they've got a lot going on over there. So we're going to co-release it if you want to go check out his operation. Feel free to do that. It'll be up uh, probably within a week, I imagine, and I'll release it here as well uh, at the same day whenever he wants to do it. Uh, and then in the next couple of days, I'm doing a couple of um, episodes that I've been really looking forward to. Uh, one is with Jeff Dyer, who's an author I met at Tal Ruspoli's um, art festival out in the Salton Sea last spring. He's a, an author. I read one of his books years ago. It's called Out of Sheer Rage. And I really love the book because it's a book about not writing the book he was supposed to write which I can really relate to. I mean, I've been sort of giving a lot of podcasts about not writing the book I was supposed to write. Uh, and he wrote a book about it. Uh, so it's sort of a book within a book. And it's about D.H. Lawrence, who was uh, my favorite author for a few years, way back in my youth. Sons and Lovers, Lady Chatterley's Lover, um, 
the there was I forget what was the name of my favorite one. Uh, I forget what it's called now. Uh, it's been a long time, but I read a lot of his novels and essays and poetry and uh, really was into D.H. Lawrence there for a while. So I didn't know who Jeff Dyer was when I picked up that book, but I really enjoyed it. And then I met him out there and it was like, fuck that guy. I remember that guy. And he's he's written a lot of books. Uh, one of his more recent ones is called Yoga for People Who Hate Yoga or something like that. Um, anyway, so I'm really looking forward to that. I enjoyed chatting with him out in the desert and we intended to get together earlier, but we were both busy over the summer, so it's had to wait till now. And then I'm uh, going to meet with a guy named Dr. Alan Francis, driving down to San Diego to hang with him. He's a psychiatrist who wrote <clears throat> the the DSM section, the sort of the diagnostic manual for psychiatrists. He's a very prominent guy, very uh, well-respected expert. He wrote the DSM section on narcissistic personality disorder, I believe. And uh, he's just published a book talking about Donald Trump. And his point is that Donald Trump is not mentally ill, uh, that he does not suffer from what we would call a psychiatric disorder. Instead, uh, he, Alan Francis says, you know, I, I heard him on an interview recently. He said, uh, people who suffer from mental illness tend to be, uh, kind, decent people who are struggling with a, a very heavy challenge. Uh, Donald Trump is an asshole. <laughs> he's not mentally ill. He's just an asshole. So that'll be interesting to get the sort of scientific definition of what makes one an asshole. And uh, and then the other uh, episode that I'm really looking forward to that's coming up soon here, at least the recording's coming up soon, is Neil Brennan, who's a stand-up comic. He did a piece, I think it's on Netflix, called Three Mics. I really uh, recommend that to you very highly. Uh, he he organized it beautifully. He, he, there are three microphones and he alternates between them with like a curtain going down between each one. And one microphone is uh, stand-up comedy. Another microphone is one-liners. And then the third microphone is just confessional, uh, straight from the heart talk about how he grew up. <clears throat> and uh, it's brilliant. It's really, really good. So I'm very happy to be chatting with him. He's also pretty well known as Dave Chappelle's writing partner. He was, he and Dave did the Chappelle show, you know, famously one of the most popular comedy sketch shows in the history of the planet. And so I'm, uh, I'm really happy that he's got some time to sit down with me. So that's all coming up in the next week. I'm going to be having those conversations. So stay tuned, as they say. Um, this episode is the last of the episodes that I recorded at the farm in North Carolina, Sparkroot Farm. Uh, and man, every one of these people that I, I talked to there were just so impressive. And and um, it was just so touching to be there. Uh, I, I don't know. I think I've described it this way before, but it's the only way I can really think of is... You know, when I was there, I, of course, I was very impressed. It was only three or four days. It was very intense. There was a lot going on. And then when I left, 
and sort of went back out into the world, went to the airport, flew to LAX, driving, you know, all this bullshit. And, and it was as if I had been drinking crystal clear water for those four days. And then suddenly I was back to, um, you know, diet Coke or something. Uh, when I was drinking it, it just immediately felt normal. It just felt like, oh, yeah, these are cool people. Good. Everyone's cool. And and you don't really think about how unusual it is to meet people where every conversation you have is heart to heart and no bullshit. And they're looking you straight in the eye and they're vulnerable and honest and clear and their intentions are right on the table and there are no hidden agendas and no bullshit. And it was just so fucking refreshing. And Lyle, I saved this one for last because in some ways Lyle is sort of the, Lyle and his wife were the original couple there who bought the land and, and started things. His name's Lyle Estill, E-S-T-I-L-L. Uh, he's got a website, lyleestill.com. And Lyle's the author of several books, uh, a lot of them about the kinds of stuff that he's doing. I guess all of them about what he's doing there, about biodiesel and uh, about um, sustainability and making small changes in your life that will have a large effect on the world. Uh, he's got a book called Industrial Evolution, Local Solutions for a Low Carbon Future. Uh, small as possible, biodiesel, small stories, big changes, backyard biodiesel. So he's very interested in alternative energy, in sustainable living, in community building, village building, in alternative education, and and uh, you know growing your own food, all this kind of stuff. And he's no hippie. He's a really astute businessman. Uh, he knows his numbers. He, he's very kind of, you know, no nonsense. Think about the numbers. Is this going to work? Is this a viable business? He, he doesn't, he's not a, a starry eyed dreamer. And uh, I really appreciate that because God knows we need people like that to get stuff done. It's, you know, there are enough of us sitting around twiddling our thumbs thinking about stuff, but uh, we need people who know how to get shit done. And Lyle's one of them. So it was really great to talk to him and hang out and sort of inhabit the world that he's had a, a very important role in building out there at Sparkroot Farms. So what else can I say? It was an honor to hang out with this guy. And um, yeah, we had a great chat. And then I remember in the car driving back home, it, it got even better. I kind of wish I had the mic on in the car as well. We talked about some very personal things, some of which he mentions here in the podcast. I won't get into it in detail, but um, yeah, it's, it's, man, I wish the whole world were populated by people like the people I met there. I think it could be. I think it is, you know, people who could be like that if we weren't swimming upstream with all this cultural bullshit man it just keeps going uh, this week what's in the news the equifax credit check company got hacked and the ceos knew about it and so the ceo and the other top people sold a hundred million dollars of their own stock before the news was made public before before they told us that we'd been 
the crime had been committed against us, the American people, they made sure to profit on it. And that's, I guess, legal, you know? There was a time where shame would have stopped people from doing something like that. If if they'd been found out, they would have their reputations would have been tarnished forever. But now that doesn't work anymore. If you made money, hey, good for you. I don't know. We have to be hitting some sort of rock bottom. The other piece of news that really broke my heart this week was some gold miners in Brazil in a bar bragging about how they had killed a bunch of Indians, native people from an uncontacted tribe, tribe just living as far as deep in the jungle as they possibly can to avoid us and all this shit that we smear all over everything. And these guys went out and shot them. Yeah, and it's just the process that's been going on for centuries. But we call ourselves civilized. Crazy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's what's happening. And all I can hope for and all that sort of keeps me smiling is the possibility that we're hitting rock bottom, that we've come to the end of the road, that it just can't get worse. I know it can always get worse, but I mean in a philosophical sense and in the sense that this contraption that we're driving down the road is just falling apart and... I hope enough of us know it and see it that we can start to change it. It's what I talked with Hunter about today. He's very optimistic. He thinks that there's a critical mass that that we're reaching. And if you look at history, there is reason to believe this can happen. But he contends that uh, through podcasting and other sort of ways of reaching out and interacting with people, unfettered by university control, institutional control, corporate control, that there are enough people who are detribalizing and stepping outside of the belief system that excuses all this sort of nonsense, that we're forming another kind of community in the world that um, that knows how to think critically, that knows how to recognize bullshit when they smell it. And um, that maybe we'll put together something better. I sure hope so. Anyway, without further ado, I'm just going to uh, slip right into this conversation with Lyle Estill at uh, Sparkroot Farms. There is a video of this. I will post the video. And uh, yeah, if you're a Patreon supporter, you will receive a link from me. If you're not a Patreon supporter, um, just... Google or go to YouTube and search Christopher Ryan and you'll find my channel and it'll be on there. I'll make it freely available. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to do I'm going to do Roma episodes. Uh, I'm going to try to do them more regularly and I'm going to uh, take the questions from Patreon supporters. I'll give them uh, priority. That'll be like a priority mailbox or something. So if you're a Patreon supporter and you have a question you'd like me to address or an issue you'd just like to hear me yammer on about for a few minutes, feel free to send it that way. And those will 
Um, I'll, I'll at least mention all of those. Let's put it that way. The ones that come in through regular email, uh, they get filtered and I see some of those. Uh, the ones that my assistant thinks are interesting and I haven't dealt with before. But if you're a Patreon supporter, you'll get special treatment. Also, if you are a Patreon supporter and I owe you a T-shirt or a signed book or whatever, please let me know. There's no sort of automatic way to monitor that. And my mom's got her hands full with the stuff she's doing. So I don't want to, she's not real good with the technological stuff. So I don't want to like give her computer things to worry about. Um, so if you've been supporting for a while and you want a t-shirt and I, I don't know, you know what the, whatever the bonus material is, um, if we owe you something, just, just let us know and we'll make sure to get it out to you. Again, if you let us know through the Patreon system, we'll be sure to see that email. All right, now I'm going to play a song, which is a really cool song that I don't know what it's called and I don't know who it's by. I've done searches of lyrics and I couldn't find anything. So if you recognize the tune, um, yeah, drop me a line. Let me know who it is and I'll uh, properly credit them on my webpage where I always put the the music that I use on here. Uh yeah, it's uh it's an interesting tune and uh maybe when you hear the conversation you'll you'll get a sense for why I chose it. Uh I don't know what it's called in my it was given to me by my buddy Mark way back when on one of many seed mix CDs that he made for me. Um and I I never figured out what it was called, but I call it Pass It On. Hope you enjoy the tune and I hope you enjoy this episode and I really hope that life is treating you with love and kindness. Catch you soon.
So I'm with uh, Lyle Westall in a place called, what is this place called? <laughs> Chris, welcome to The Plant. The Plant. In Pittsburgh, I, North Carolina. The Plant. Yeah. Pittsburgh, North Carolina. Uh, yeah, I just got a tour and uh, there's a lot going on here. This is, so you said it was uh, an old World War II. Uh, Cold War. This or is Cold a, War. This Cold is like War, a right. Cold War relic. Right. That became sort of a sustainability eco-industrial park. So you took it over with the biofuel business, yep. and then that's transitioned to an ecologically safe insecticide, pesticide? Bioherbicides and bio biopesticides. Yeah, right. Alan at Homs is making, uh, you know, taking ingredients, natural ingredients, and using them for pest control, right. weed control, and... Uh, in a more sustainable way. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. yeah, and that's working. That, oh yeah, that's yeah. a great business to be in right now. Yeah. yeah, it's booming much better than the biodiesel business that uh, brought us to this place in the first place. Yeah, well, you mentioned that one of the reasons it's booming is that I think California just listed uh, the Roundup as a cancer-causing. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, the, just like two weeks ago. The I think. family of glyphosate chemicals are yeah. more persistent than we imagined. Right. You know? Shocker, yeah. Yeah. and the um, they're finding their way into the water table. They're carcinogenic. Right. You know, I don't think you need to be a rocket scientist to say this is a bad idea. But, yeah. You know, surprise, surprise, it is. So the world is moving to more biodegradable, non-persistent, you know, um, applications that can keep us whole and not kill us. Right. So that's what they're making at Homs. They're doing a um, bioherbicides that are. And you've got a local distillery that's yeah. using local, locally sourced fair ingredients. Game, fair Game Beverage Company is here, and their mission, they're a B Corp, and their mission is to take North Carolina agricultural pro products, be a value-added producer. And so they have a 13th legal distillery in North Carolina, and they'll take peaches from the sand hills or apples from the mountains or um, sorghum grass from, from uh, 15 miles away and process it into booze. You said they're B Corp. Explain what that is. Uh, B Corp is a certification of a social enterprise. So uh, the notion of a social enterprise being that, you know, it's not a nonprofit. 
it's allowed to make money. It's not government. It's not public sector. It's a, a private sector enterprise, but it is mission driven. And really, the at the heart of the social enterprise movement is the notion of fiduciary responsibility. That is, I can err on the side of mission rather than on the side of maximizing your money. Hmm. So if you're an oh, investor. Oh, I see. So, yeah. so the shareholders can't exactly right. throw you out for doing something that makes sense. That's exactly but right. But cost them a little money. Bingo. Yeah, so, right. so if you were an owner right. of the Fair Game Beverage Company and you said, um, hey, how come you're using that expensive sorghum grass from Silk Hope, North Carolina? You can buy sugar from Barbados for a fraction of the cost, right. and I'm going to sue you because I'm not doing a good job as the steward of your money. Right. Then what I do is I say, no, hang on, Your Honor. <laughs> I told him before he went in that this was my mission, and I was going to stay true to my mission, and he knew that when he placed his money down, mm. and so I win. So Whereas, is it much harder to get investors in a B Corp? Because of that, they, they don't have that sort of ultimate say? Uh, good question, I would say. Probably yes, in the sense that you know social enterprise organizations are, uh, what, there's a couple thousand of them on Earth mm, right. <laughs> versus yeah. billions of others. So yeah. I would say yes, you, you find the socially conscious investor that says, no, I want a company that does right by the environment, does right by people does right by to uh, offset all the money I'm making from uh, General Electric and Raytheon bingo <laughs> that's exactly right <laughs> the rest like carbon credits yeah the rest like. of my portfolio is accidentally dropping bombs on girls schools yeah. in Afghanistan right. and um, but hey we've got some uh, uh, booze over here that's doing good yeah <laughs> we're and we're you know making five and a half percent rather than nine and a half Bingo. Yeah, yeah big sacrifice <laughs> that's exactly right mr walton yeah yeah um so you're i mean the to sort of get get right down to uh the sort of essence of of what i'm learning about you is that you combine obviously a great talent for business with a deep concern for social progress and justice and things that most people would say are uh, contradictory to business. Uh, possibly, I'm not. I'm not sure. Deep talent for business is the right description. Well, Here's what I did. I had I had four children, and yeah. I thought I'm going to get a renewable energy business for each one that I can leave behind. So I got biodiesel. I did solar double cropping where we're growing crops underneath big solar. Right, but what, but how, I mean, you say that as if mm. as if you can just decide, you know, oh, I got four kids. I'm going to start four businesses, you know, that are like, wh where did where did you do you have a degree in business? Are you from a family, ah. you know, who has lots of capital? Like, how do you where did you come from? All right. I um, I came from a middle class family in Canada that uh, really came from the um, 1950s cradle to grave patriarchal gray flannel suit era, go be a company man. Right. Um, I'm 55. Yeah. Uh, by the time my dad was 55, he had a you know 28-year-old MBA draw a line through his name. Yeah, working right. for the same company all his life. And the message changed. My father yeah. spent his whole, whole life saying, go join the corporation, go be like me. You'll be safe. And then when he got, when he found himself on the street, 
um, in his early 50s, the message changed to his sons, and that was, do not waste your life the way I have. <laughs> what can you do? That's a tough message. On your own. Can you do it? And what can you do? Anything you can, can I help? What can you do? Anything. And so. How old were you? Oh, gosh. When I would have been 55? a teenager. I was a teenager in high school. Uh-huh. And um, he, so I was, yeah, 16, 17. Right. Um, my brother started selling computers out of the back of his car. My other brother jumped in. I jumped in to help. We started out in tech. We had a pretty good run in tech in mm. Canada. And I found myself in North Carolina, and I found myself in renewable energy. And I found myself, I was started making fuel for myself yeah. at my shop. Right. You've done some podcasts yeah. from my, that's where biodiesel began for me. I was making fuel for my right. car. More people came along. They wanted more fuel. We built a bigger plant. We became a cooperative. We came here, we built a million gallon a year plant, right. and I was in the biodiesel business. And did you have the startup capital from the tech stuff that you had done earlier? I got the startup capital. That's an interesting story because some of it was mine, certainly. Um, and some of it was my brothers. My brothers uh, and I were in business all our lives. Um, when we decided to raise a million dollars for this place, there was nowhere to put your money if you believed in biodiesel. So the year is, what, 2005, and the only public market play for biodiesel was Archer Daniels Midland, and ADM had just paid the largest fine in corporate history for their fixing of the lysine markets. So if you didn't want to put your money into evil old ADM, but you thought biodiesel was sexy, suddenly I'm on the phone calling you up, and we didn't know. We thought we might raise our money in... um, six months or a year, uh, we had our money by noon. No kidding. We had our commitments by noon. And so we raised a million dollars and we went into the biodiesel business. How many investors? Four or five. Wow. So they're pretty sizable investments. Yeah. And so we got our investment and off we went. And then we tried like the Dickens to make money. Piedmont Biofuels tried and tried to figure out to dial up community scale biodiesel. Hmm. Not the 100 million gallon Walmart of fuel like you see in Iowa. Right. But like waste oils into fuel right to our drivers, little cooperative consumer co-op. And um, gosh, we tried. And the biodiesel business is horrible. (laughs) You are trapped in global commodity markets over which you have no control. So Mm. the price of fat soils increases here, the price of oil here. And, you know, you're like a muscle that attaches to the rock. Yeah. You go too low, you get nailed by a fish. You go too high, you get nailed by a bird. And if you get it just right, you can hang on to that rock and the waves will beat the crap out of you day in and day out. Does, does that excellent metaphor, <laughs> does that excellent metaphor apply to business in general? Because I imagine if you get too big, then yeah. you get bought out. Right. Or, or you're seen as a threat, so you're destroyed. Sure. If you're lucky, you're bought out. If you're unlucky, they'll destroy you in one right, way or another. Right, right. You just go under. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the. I don't know the answer to that. If you're I, too small, you don't have enough cash flow to keep going. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I. You know, I think probably. Um, I suppose all business is hard, or all business is perceived as hard. So, mm. if you are the 
developer of the software, you wish you were the distributor because, gosh, the distributor's life is easy. And if you're the right. distributor, you kind of really wish that you were the dealer. And if you're the right. dealer, you kind of wish you were the developer. Right. And everybody looks over there, look at him, man. That guy's got a license to print money, and I'm right. here killing myself right. for nothing. Yeah. I, I'm guessing that you could probably extend that metaphor over maybe all business, right? The, yeah. The Everyone Ford else's dealer job wishes looks they were easier. the factory, and the factory wishes they were the the dealer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I, the only business I'm really in at this point is, uh, and I'm not, that's stretching it to say I'm in it is publishing. Sure. Uh, where you know I often look at it and it's like, wait, I wrote the book and I get eight percent. Uh huh. Yeah. How's that make what what I mean, a hooker gets more than half the money. <laughs> you know, even a pimp wouldn't say give me ninety two percent. I mean, come on, man, I gotta eat. There you go. So it's it's I don't know, maybe because as you were saying that, I was thinking, hell yeah, I look at the, yeah, you right, know, the, right. Let's be the, the printer yeah, and the exactly. distributor and like, fuck you guys, 40% right. for distribution, you right. go write a book. No, and I think that if you, once you take your corner office spot in the publishing company, you're saying, this fucking authors have it made, man, that's easy street. <laughs> All they do is sit around, yeah, thumb up their up. ass, yeah, yeah exactly, and, uh, just write I, it. I've got it, a handful. It writes itself. I have a handful of books out on um, New Society up in Canada uh -huh. and, um, you know, sort of energy and society, biodiesel type books. And um, uh, same way, the, the being an author is murder. And so you you mm. always look over at the yeah. other guys that have a better So deal. your books are bio, was that like your first love? Started with Biodiesel Power, uh -huh. which uh, my favorite critical review said it was a love story. <laughs> I like that. Um, it was a critical review. Yeah, my... my uh, oh, like it's not accurate, it's no, a love story? Review. No, it was good. It was, I, I like that. That was my favorite. Um, yeah. my, my big book was called Small as Possible. Right. And that's about scale. And business and is that a reference to small is beautiful? Absolutely, yeah. it comes right out of the Schumacher tradition, right. and I say all that in the foreword, yeah. and it's like it's a great tradition. Yeah, um, that one just went into translation in Korea. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to getting the book that I won't understand a word of. I hope they do a better job than Sex at Dawn, because when Sex at Dawn came out in Korean, a friend of mine bought it, uh -huh. and she said. It's incomprehensible. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, she was like, the jokes just like make no sense. That the, oh, wow. you know, wordplay like they, ch they didn't rewrite it in Korean. They translated it. I see. They gave it to some robot. Essentially. Sex at dawn. Human sex at or dawn otherwise. Hour. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see. That's I mean, what she said. I don't. I don't you know. have the benefit of anyone that I know that speaks Korean, but I will. Um, I would. I will. I will look forward to having it on the shelf. Yeah. Just yeah, as a novelty definitely. item. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gobbledygook. So, so uh, five books. Did you write them all kind of quickly, or did you were these spread no, out over? No, books running from probably 2005 through 2013 or something. And why, like why write books? Was this about spreading information, or was it? I was trained as a journalist, okay. and I was supposed to be a writer. I used to be a reporter. I ah. used to do news ed. Ah. You know, deadline, get your copy in. You know run down and cover the audience right. or sorry the accident right um i um noticed at that time that i made more money from photographs than i did from my call i was paid by the column inch and so it was like you know if you can get a photograph of the accident <laughs> you make more money than the damn write-up right anyway um, and it takes a lot less time yeah. yeah and so of course back then i was you know i 
take my 30, I'd borrow Vans 35 millimeter camera, go out, take the shots, go back to the darkroom, right. print the black and whites, get it in on time and say. But, um, so anyway, I wanted to be a writer and I, would trained, I, was, I was trained as a writer and I um, poured it in. And you know, that was a tough, tough economic life. Yeah. And um, so I ended up going into technology with my brothers and I, I, I guess I turned out to be a Maybe I'm more of a traveling salesman than I am a writer. <laughs> and, I, so, and actually, you know, I started blogging uh -huh. back before there was a blogosphere, right. before there was any social media, pre-Facebook, LinkedIn, etc. And I was teaching a class on renewable energy down at our local community college. And I discovered this thing called blogs. And I thought, what a great way to keep in touch with my class because they're all adult learners. They all want to be there. Mm, it's continuing right, ed. Right. So you're in Montreal on a business trip and you're missing it. So I had really original blog entries. My first one was entitled um, Night One, you know, Night Two. And it basically I published, here's what you're going to miss in class. Right. You know. And um, I had 11 readers, uh, <laughs> including my mom. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, after the semester ended, I kept blogging, and I was just chronicling our successes and failures in backyard biodiesel, and then mm. my observations on policy or stupidity or whatever I thought. Blogging away, no one cared. Um, an activist out in California found one of my blogs. I took my children and my, and my family camping in Ontario in the winter. It was a winter camping trip. No... That's crazy. Bandwidth. No, like, offline. Yeah. We're in the woods in Ontario, and I came home to North Carolina and logged in, and suddenly she had taken my, one of my entries and syndicated it across all the forums and all the groups, and she'd gone and shared it everywhere. And she said, oh, my God, she was from Berkeley. This is the best explanation of the small producer's dilemma that I've ever seen. And she had all the authority in the world, and boom. Next thing you know, I had an audience. Instant Great. audience. Wow. And you go back to the early days of Energy Blog, you see 50 comments routinely, you know, 25 comments. I mean, boom. Yeah. So Energy Blog accidentally became the community space for biodiesel, for backyard biodiesel. For small scale. Wow. Yeah. And then, you know, suddenly, I'm finding my way, and New Society calls me. When I was a kid you know I was trying to sell manuscripts and yeah. sell things yeah. and that's murder right <laughs> suddenly they're like hey could you do a book right it's like are you joking boom yeah and so I that's that was my entree into publishing nice. and, and so then small as possible local economy then I did one on industrial evolution one that was about the plant and zero waste and carbon sequestration and you know the way industry should function okay industry in a good way industry right. like the honeybee right rather than industry as in pollute the river right and so uh i took a stab at that and then i did an anthology of small stories big changes hmm. i did that one on um a uh well i was over in paris i was hanging out on the left bank i gave myself a treat i had all the children the place was lousy with children reading uh, American fiction from that era. So I did Henry a, Miller? Yeah, you deep dive into Gatsby, Hemingway, yeah. Stein, you know. Yeah. I, I, I was uh, just drilling into that and loving it. Yeah. And I was jealous. 
I was like, look at these people. They're, you know, they're getting together, they're getting bombed, mm. and they're um, arguing right. with Salon Matisse culture. Yeah. into the night. Yeah. You know, and yeah. they're they're quarreling over Picasso. It's like, wouldn't that have been fun? Yeah. And you never know who's going to drop in at Gertrude's right. place. And so the idea was, I thought, wait a minute, I've got an interesting life, and my guys are in wind, and they're in solar, and they're in biofuels, and, you know, so I thought, I dashed out a table of contents, I said, here, I'm going to do an anthology, there's going to be this, you know, so I lined up seven profiles women, seven, seven women and seven men, uh -huh. and I, like, tell me your story, small stories, big changes, you know, you were a pioneer in green building, tell right. me how that went, you lost 60 million dollars on building the most energy efficient building in the southeast uh, lowest amount of energy per square foot of any building in the southeast oh and you lost 60 million when um, uh, Citibank took it over from you okay tell me that story hmm. boom and it goes you know and so I have these stories yeah. about pioneers in renewable energy That's that great. was an anthology that I curated and then um, and then my publisher came back with come on we need the definitive book on how to make your own biodiesel. And I wrote that one with my friend Bob Armitrot, and so we co-authored that one and put it out there. And, I, and I'm pleased to say that it is um, the best-selling backyard biodiesel book on Amazon. All right, <laughs> ranked number one. Yeah, so that and a buck 50 can get you a <laughs> cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, royalty checks. Yeah, cash them down at the 7-Eleven. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I forgot what I was going to ask you. Oh, oh, do you know you were talking about architecture? Are you familiar with the Earthships? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Been, I've been out to Taos. Have you? I, I want to go in my van. That's yeah. one of the places I want to stop yeah. in because the whole thing with the van is, you know, like I do this podcast in person only. I, for a while, I did some Skype, you know, yes. interviews, but I just found it awkward, you know, because right. there's the delay and I'm interrupting you, yes. and ah, I, I just hated it and. And also, there's a selfishness that motivates me because yeah. I want to meet interesting people. Right. You know, everyone does, right? And so yeah. I've got this opportunity where, you know, you're a busy guy, but if I say 100,000 people, you know, will listen to this, then maybe you have some time, right? Sure. So I want to meet these people and I want to meet their friends and I want to, you know. Right. See their house and well, look at how that wall was constructed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and if in the case of the, the Earthships, I want to hang out down there and talk to the people who are doing the workshops and learning how to do it and where are they going back to and, you know. Exactly. Because um, each, it, it just seems like, you know, fascinating people are always surrounded by fascinating people. There's no, there's no question. I'm, yeah. I'm completely jealous of your sprinter adventure and I've been pitching it for years hmm. to deaf ears. So, Is so, your wife's deaf ears? Yeah, right. yeah. My wife Tammy yeah. is sort of a high thread count <laughs> don't take me to a state park kind of gal. You took her winter camping in Ontario? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay. The point is she's a local girl from yeah. Raleigh and yeah. um, the point is that uh, getting her into the sprinter to do the big adventure um, has not happened. And, yeah. Uh, well. But you know, you are right. What I f what I have found on my, you know, I've done some book tours and some travel and speaking gigs and so on. Um, there's super cool people everywhere. Yeah. And you know, we we tend to 
sort of want to put things in boxes, kind of depending on where you're from. So I come from southwestern Ontario. So it's popular to say trash Buffalo. Right. Oh, Buffalo is the armpit of America. Why right. would you do anything in Buffalo? Well, you can go to Buffalo or Cleveland or Rochester. Any place that you think is uptight, not yeah. cool. Actually, Orlando. I did a slow money thing in Orlando one year. And I was like, are you joking? It's yeah. conventions and Disney, Disney yeah. and I don't care for either. And this is going to be dreadful. But into the edge of town, there's an abandoned military base, great big medians. They're growing food in the medians. There's a farmer's market. Oh, they've converted this old school into a mm. cheesemonger shop. Oh, there's young people walking around with T-shirts that say, Orlando doesn't suck. There, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a local economy scene that's yeah. thriving. Yeah. There's cool people doing yeah. super interesting stuff yeah. everywhere that you go. And you know what? Like, you know, Bill Maher, the comedian, yes, yes. he talks about how, you know, he's obviously very, like, politically yes. radical and all um, but he says he loves playing in the South because when he plays New York, it's like, yeah, you know, sort of uh -huh. vaguely enthusiastic. But he plays Charleston or something, and everyone who's there is thrilled to be there. Oh, wow. And th I mean, I've done this in my own speaking things where, where I realized, I remember when this happened in, in Portland, I, I, uh, when the book Sexaton had just come out, and... I was invited by local people, like, hey, we'll rent a place, we'll sell tickets, sure. can you come? And yeah. I was like, I'll come, and we'll share the money, 50-50, sure. like, okay, great. So it was like, I think it was 750 people, they nice. sold out this theater. Yeah. Who the fuck am I? I they've never heard of me. I, I wrote some book about prehistoric sex, why are you here, right? right. And I remember going out on the stage, and, and, I, and I said to them, it just occurred to me. I really I was backstage like how is this possible? And it just occurred to me that you're not really primarily here to hear me give this talk I'm about to give. You're primarily here to meet each other. Interesting. Because you have guessed that the kind of person who's going to come to this kind of event is like you. is smart and sexy and cool and like you. Why exactly. So I said, you know, let's before I even get into this, let's just take five minutes and yeah. you know introduce yourself yeah, to the right, people right, around right. you, and I hope you all get laid tonight. You yeah, know, it's community. Yeah, I it, mean, it's what it is. You're yeah. absolutely right. And in yeah. fact, that's what we have learned over and over again at Piedmont Biofuels and the plant, and now we get to learn that at Sparkroot. Mm -hmm. When you when you launch an endeavor, let's say you go into farming. I'm, I'm sorry, I just. <laughs> I just realized I was out of the camera. Uh-oh. Oh, oh got to be in the camera. Okay. Sorry. Um, you're launching a farm endeavor. And yeah. So you mistakenly believe that it's about fencing to, to protect you from deer or rabbit right. uh, predation. You know, you, you mistakenly think it's about water and bed structure and what you're going to grow and, you know, solar hours per day and all this technical stuff. But it's actually about the people hmm. that want to eat that kind of food. Right. And now you're going to go in, you're going to make a biodiesel, you're going to build a chemical plant. You know, we welded every weld ourselves, we attached every flange, we built this thing ourselves. Mm. So you think it's about pressures and stainless steel and, um, you know, how many inches of mercury you're going to pull on vacuum. Right. And actually, it's not. It's about the kind of people that want to drive around on this fuel hall. Mm. And it, it just, same thing, you do a solar double cropping, a big solar installation, and you think it's about 
connecting to the grid and power purchase agreements and number of uh, kilowatt hours and and you know tax credits and all no it's not it's about the people that want clean electricity right that's powering their businesses and the people homes. who want to spend their time building something like this That's to provide that or, yeah, or yeah. even benefiting from it so yeah. when you do a ribbon cutting at a windmill uh, we we did a ribbon cutting at my brother glenn's um wind farm and i mean you couldn't have a worse day in the world i mean blowing snow drifting freezing horrible grab your parka wrap it around and here's like 150 people coming out to cut the ribbon right you know one turbine's going to power 750 canadian homes and um those are the people, that, and, and they're coming because they like renewable energy, and they want to meet the guy that also wants renewable energy, and they want to geek out on, right. hey, I put some panels on my house, and hey, look at my, uh, yeah. you know, now it's my new electric car, and uh, wow, how, what kind of range do you get? And look at my new battery, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's the yeah. people, and that, I'm guessing, is the exact same thing with, you know, the whole polyamory community or yeah. world. yeah. You know. And it's interesting, there's a lot of overlap between the sort of, you know, people who are thinking about alternative ways to, to organize relationships and maintain raise children and all this kind of stuff. There, there's a big overlap between that world and high tech because mm. there are people who are hackers. There are people who are like, there's a better way to do this. Uh -huh. There's a more efficient way. Uh -huh. There's a way, you know, we can get the same amount of output with less input. There, there's all this sort of, right. the same ways of thinking. Right. Um, you know, instead of the old sort of industrial approach, which uh -huh. was just fucking force it through and do it, you know, right. stamp it out, mass produce. Now it's more like, hey, we've got 3D printers. We can design our own relationship. Uh -huh. We can design, we can raise our children I mean, right. I'm, I'm, you know, not telling you anything you haven't thought about far more than I have, which leads to, to Sparkroot Farms and yep. what you guys are doing out there, which is, as I understand it, after a couple of days here, you're, it's a germination of, of a village, of a community. Um, yeah. I forget, I think it was uh, Elisa who, who told me that you guys had called it an unintentional community. Sure. <laughs> or accidental. Nice <laughs> it's a nice or, or shit show. I mean, pick your word. <laughs> <laughs> shit show. <laughs> Come join the shit show. Yeah. So, yeah. like, how did the, what, tell me about that? Because like, you and uh, your wife, I, Tammy, 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 are the sort of Adam and Eve of this of this uh, situation out there. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've been interested in community for the past 30 years. And I, I've read, you know, I've read all the books on community, uh, mm. intentional community I can get my hands right, on. Right. And I have participated in a couple of intentional, failed intentional community efforts. So we did one here at, in Pittsburgh. I participated in uh, the founding of Blue Heron Farm, which, you know, went on to launch as a success that I'm not a part of. Mm. Um, and um, so I've been on the edge of the community, the intentional de development. Um, and Tammy and I have really just been, I would say, bumbling along. We've got this little bend in the road where we live in Moncure, where we accidentally bought up all of our neighbors. <laughs> I mean, Oops, bought another one. Well, I mean, what we did is we, we got rid of the dogs on chains and we got rid of the uh -huh. um, abandoned single wides and we got rid of the Confederate flags and we got rid of the trouble lights. And, you know, our little bend in the road has actually been getting darker, right. night, night sky wise. Oh, really? It's been getting darker over the last 20 years. Yeah. And 
and so it's just sort of like, oh, and then of course what happens is you sort of, well, we've got this space. Yeah, you can move in, and oh, so here comes yeah. here comes Joe. He's a stonemason. Here right. comes Janice. She's a mosaicist. Here comes Elisa. She wants to farm, and so now you got a farm popping up here, and an aquaponics thing going here. And yeah, a, you know, the schools coming up. We got a school coming up. Yeah. We got a church going on. We got a, a cemetery. Yeah, you know. So, and again, I look at this through the the lens of micro enterprise. So, from my perspective, I look at it and say, all right, you're doing a school. So. How many kids? What's the rate? How much do you pay your teachers? How many teachers do you need? Are they going to be able? Is your garden big enough to right. feed the kids lunches out of the garden? You know, right. how numbers have I to work. I look at it as yeah. through the lens of um, commerce. And you is your objective that everything has to be self-sustaining, or can one thing lose money but the other thing is making enough to cover it? Or how do you envision it? I, I think that you you want the whole to sustain and that could be in a variety of ways so for instance you might be a, a fat cat you know you might be a tech guy that wants to live at the bend and you're going to make all your money out here in the general population and that money is going to come back into the bend and manifest itself in in the fact you know in your contributions right. or in the way you want to exist right um, you also may be an intern that's actually making your living you know, modest, right. living in an airstream at Sparkroot, got your roof over your head, milking goats, right. uh, working on the farm, you're, you're well fed, you're well cared for. Right. And you're bringing good energy to and the you're bringing, place. And you're learning yeah. skills. Yeah. So you, you've got young people learning skills, you've got, so we're all over the map. We've got right. rich, we've got poor, um, and we've got a variety of models. Now, I look at the models and I say, huh. <laughs> You're only getting twenty-five thousand dollars an acre from your small-scale farming operation. That should be fifty. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. Hmm. You know what's the problem? Oh, the problem is asset-based. You know you don't have the proper irrigation, or you don't. Hmm. You know you're using a wheelbarrow when you should be using a uh, front bucket or something like that. So right. I think in terms of these uh, commercial, but not everyone at the bend does. Right. Right. So is that, like, is that frustrating for you? Well, I. Okay, it's community. Hmm. So, Elisa couldn't give a flying fuck about commerce. Right. Right. So, she's going to do a permacultural approach to this field, and that means she's going to wait for the pigs to to root out the roots, and she's going to wait for the goats to clear the forage, and, and um, she's going to wait for the uh, biological deficit that is owed to that piece of land to be replenished hmm. through the permacultural approach. Right. Um, great. And that means that she's going to feed a smaller subset of people. Okay. If it were me, uh, be like, beep, beep, beep. <laughs> Here comes the <laughs> load of compost right. from the uh, compost plant. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to do instant fertility because I don't have time to wait for the chicken shit. Right. And we're going to, um, you know, bring in our, import our fertility, right. take care of that biological deficit on that field, and bring the farm into fecundity. But, to her credit, she wants to model something. Right. She believes in the permacultural way. And how many cucumbers she sells is, is absolutely not of interest. Hmm. So, you know, you can have differences of opinion. It's just, you kind of stake your claim, uh, you know, 
I'm the guy. I'm the commerce guy. Right. You know. Right. And then and you get everything in between. Right. right? So you have the spiritual folks, the the woo woo folks. The, right. You know, th these people are like, don't bother me. I'm not going to soil my hands with commerce. I'm too busy worshiping my ancestors. <laughs> and, and it's all good. Who died broke, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all good, though, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. like whatever works for you. Um, yeah, but I mean, the, all right, two things I want, I, that you made me think of there. One is, and I was saying this to Elisa as well, it seems that if the community is going to grow at some point, don't things have to get codified mm. you know because i know right now everything's sort of like well yeah it works as, as it works which is fine when you got 15 or 20 people or right, whatever you've right. got 28 okay yeah. but if, if you're getting 60 70 80 people yeah. suddenly you know you, you're gonna have people who you know are just takers totally that you right. know their yes. friends and family have said get the fuck out of here we're done with you yes. and now they're going to be out there with their drugs and their heroin and their Co dysfunctional crazy shit along. yeah yeah um, I mean, there's in decisions like I right know. now, everyone, as I understand it, everyone sort of owns their own property, yeah. more or less. I sure. know some right. some things are happening on property you own and you know, whatever. Assets. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but as a, you know, as a commerce sensitive person that, you know, you're used to signing contracts and numbers right. are clear and, you know, right. there's insurance and there's. Yes. Do you feel like you're coming to a point where things are going to have to get hardcore somehow? You know, I don't. I I don't. I don't it's know like the your answer. muscle. It's your muscle thing, isn't it? It's kind of like you don't want to get above the waves. You <laughs> don't want right. to be below the waves. That's right. I think you are. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I I think if you go around to the insanely successful intentional communities like say the farm over in Tennessee mm. you know when they decided we're no longer gonna have a common purse um, hey you're gonna have to make it on your own you got to contribute <laughs> they went from a thousand residents to 200 <laughs> right talk about freeloader effect right. talk about coattails right. okay and so you go up to Twin Oaks in Virginia super codified I mean Soviet Hmm. The the codification for everything. Right. You know, you got to ask if you're going to have a baby. Right. Because yeah. a baby, I got to, you know, I'm sitting here contributing, and your baby's not going to be contributing for 16 years. Right. <laughs> so we all need to decide whether or not you're going to have a baby. So, right. you know, then you have. And they get into the relationship stuff well, there, they get, too. They right? totally. Yeah. And then yeah. you get into Acorn, um, uh, you know, which is a spinoff of Twin Oaks, where they're like, no, we're going to be anarchists. We're not going to codify. So. I think you're all over the map in terms of how the human animal can be. And the, it's a good question. Are we going to hit a uh, codification wall at some point? Mm. You know, or is somebody going to you know, take their basketball and go home? Right. Um, is a, that's a legitimate thing that I don't know the answer to. I, th I would say it's probably in the wait and see category. Uh, but you know, there is also a principle in co-housing that the amount of intimate relationships you can sustain is about 30. Mm. Yeah. And so trying to go to 80 is a flawed concept, which I think, you know, you, you know this if you've ever lived in a, in a tower. You know, if you've ever lived in an apartment tower where there's, you know, 250 residents and you see the same guy on the elevator every day on your way down and you might say hi or you might not. 
but you certainly don't get intimate right. with a guy two doors down. Rare. Yeah. Because there's 250 people that are going through the parking garage every day and, it, you know, you don't hit my car, I won't hit yours, and we won't talk. Right. Um, so, right now we're at 28, and that includes children. Um, I would say that growth is, of course, an issue. So, do you want to double that? Do you want to move that to 50? And what does that look like? Yeah. You know? And then, of course, the other thing, I think, is, is the other facet of community of this kind is the intergenerational spread so right now we're we're got tons of kids yeah but are they going to go out into the world and circle back and return to start having their kids or many times projects of this kind just end up old rich guys Mm. <laughs> with the grandchildren coming to visit right. that you know so a lot of these projects you go and it's like oh wow look at that beautiful shop where nobody does anything anymore right. oh look at the look at the beautiful reading room where no one checks out a book <laughs> you know do you feel like like what you've got is a life raft and a little bit people are starting to go under a L- little bit so um, maybe it's you're not going to have the problem of it fading out you might have the problem of it getting overrun we are already there uh-huh. we have way more demand than we have all these people that want to move to the bend and uh-huh. we cannot accommodate them and we right. cannot put up housing fast enough we can't create tasks fast enough i mean right. uh we're there uh my my buddy bob got up at chris's funeral that would be elisa's husband and he said to the out-of-town guests, hey, those of you who have come from New Jersey and Missouri and Alaska, don't worry about Elisa and her family. The newly widowed Elisa, it's like, because here at the bend in the road, we've got her back. So you guys can, you can go home to New Jersey and don't worry about her because we got her. I mean, the guy should have been selling timeshares. My phone and email account lit up and has stayed lit up. Because people are looking to be part of a community. Like yeah, that. they're like, yeah. I live in Pittsburgh, but yeah. no one's got my back. Right. Can I move? Hey, have you got any land? Can I move in? Right. Do you have a place that I can build my house? Yeah. What have you got? I, no one's got my back. Right. <laughs> People are looking for that. Totally. Yeah, yeah starve. I like the lifeboat. Sorry to interrupt you, but just to set the picture for people, because they will have heard Elisa by now, or if depending how the sequence of this, but um, it was a burial in the woods yeah. on your property. Correct. A green burial... Right. Uh, yeah. So it's 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 not even it's not a funeral home, you Correct. know, with a stainless steel casket and you know Correct. denying what is going on here. That's right. And, no yeah. concrete vault going back to uh, going right. back to worm chow. Right. So yeah, that's that's true. So we buried Chris. We buried my son Zafer. We buried um, another guy in our cemetery, and we've incorporated as a church. And we're going to be burying some more. We're running a little cemetery operation. Yeah, it's a the, non-denominational church. It's a it. yeah. I mean, okay, it's a church from a regulatory perspective because right. uh, it has to be the <laughs> churches get a pass. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, and yeah. so, um, but we've formed a legitimate organization that's been recognized by the IRS and by the right. state and so it's uh, so that we can legally bury people right. um, in the woods right. but okay so lifeboats um, Richard Heinberg I'm a big Richard Heinberg fan he would be like maybe one of the big lifeboat guys uh, and I do absolutely view what we did here at the plant and Piedmont biofuels what we're doing at the bend 
and the other links that we have to other groups in the region that are doing similar things. And that would include Blue Heron Farm on co-housing, and it would include Pickards Mountain on the groovy things that they're doing there, and it would include, you know, there's lots of cool projects all around, and we are connected. So it is sort of a series of connected lifeboats. And so, you know, if collapse is a hobby of yours, uh, and it's kind of a hobby of mine, I... um, I saw you had Jared Diamond's book on your shelf. I do, yeah, and yeah. also, and uh, you know, I also have live on a I live on a big pond. That's intentional because plenty of water. Right. Um, got, I don't know if Fish. you ever walked out on the deck. You look up. It's like there's 4.6 k of uh, solar on the roof, yeah. which is my I consumption. I swung off that deck on there your you on your rope swing the, the other swing, day. Right. Yeah, that's there's great. another 2 k array up in the field that's powering like Ben and Whitney's house and the, the bower that you stayed in, and, yeah. and so. Um, you know, I, I run my car on 100% biodiesel, so I, I'm off the petroleum grid. You've got all those machine gun bunkers around the perimeter of the property. I don't. I'm not armed. It's a, it's a weakness. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weakness because, yeah. um, you know, when the marauders come, yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I'm, I mean, I figure, you know, arming yourself, I mean, you're just going to run out of bullets. Yeah. Someone's always going to have more bullets. Yeah. So. I agree. I agree. I carried a knife for years when I was hitchhiking. Uh-huh. Uh, I hitch- hitchhiked from New York to Alaska and back twice. Wow. And uh, I was, one time I was, uh, I was coming down from Montreal, actually. I was going from Montreal down to New York. And I was going through the Adirondacks yeah. out, up in uh, northern New York. And I had the knife. It was, you know, it was in my right boot mm-hmm. uh, under my pants. I had jeans on and these army boots and I always it, was, it wasn't long it was like maybe uh-huh. you know six inches four inch blade three inch you know whatever handle seven inches um, so it was discreet it was just if I got picked up by some lunatic uh-huh. I'm sitting in the front seat I, it's, it's an easy reach I can just say you know stop the goddamn car right yeah, yeah, yeah. I never had to do it uh-huh. but it comforted me to know it was there so this guy stops and picks me up and he's like a, you know, ex-military looking dude with a Cracked. crew cut, you <laughs> yeah. know, and tats and all that. And I get in the car and, you know, hey, thanks, man. It's cold out there. And the sun yeah. was starting to go down and yeah. it's bear country. And I'm, you know, like, uh, this oh, yeah. is getting a little hairy. So I was really grateful. And, um, and he's like, yeah, yeah. And he says, uh, so we're driving along. He says, so you like knives? <laughs> like that. Like, it's not a question. It's a statement. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I see you have one in your right boot. And I said, oh, yeah, no, that's just because, you know, hitchhiking, you, you know, you have to be careful. And you know. and he says, yeah, I like knives. And he, he grabs his belt buckle and he, and the belt buckle was a handle and the knife was under the belt. And it's like, up, uh, and it's right in front of my face. It's a dagger. Whoa. And I thought, this is it. Fuck. And. I said, mm, that's a nice knife. He said, yeah, go ahead, hold it. It's got a nice balance. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, it does. That's a beautiful knife, man. I gave it back to him. He says, yeah, I got another one here. <laughs> and so it turns out this guy was a prison guard at, I forget the name of the prison. There's a high security yeah, prison up there. Something, yeah. um, no, it's, that's, that's in Mississippi, I think, or Louisiana. It's uh, okay. uh, where there was the big riot, yeah, whatever. But... Um, Anyway, so he was a prison guard at this high-security prison, so he was trained. He saw that knife, you know. He still stopped and picked me up, 
And I thought about that afterwards. I, I, you know, it really stuck in my memory. And what I learned from him was... Someone's got a bigger knife. You're dealing with pros. Right. Yeah. Like so you, you someone's think, got a bigger knife. They've always got a bigger knife. They've been carrying that knife. They've used that knife. Right. They've stuck people with that right. knife. You never have. You probably never would. Right. They'd take it off you and stick it up your ass. And it, it was just like, uh, I'm safer unarmed than I'll ever be armed, you know? <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, I, I've often thought about that. I, I mean, I used to hunt, um, and when I had... Tammy and I started having babies, I thought, here's an idea, no guns. Hmm. You know, because you got two boys. Two yeah. boys do stupid shit with guns. They sure you know, do. I did it when I was a kid. Yeah. You may have done it when I you did. It's just yeah. like, it's the nature of boyhood right. to get out dad's gun and explore. Right. And so right. I thought, here's an idea. I had a, I had a shotgun. I, I chiseled out the firing pin so that it would never work again and hung it up on the shop. And that way the, the boys could explore their interest in a gun, but it's not a gun that's ever going to shoot anything. Right. And, right. Uh, and then I haven't had a haven't had a gun since but it's also true if you have a rabbit eating your garden you know a gun is a much better tool than say a pipe wrench (laughs) (laughs) to deal with your rabbit unless you're really good with a pipe wrench yeah (laughs) which some guys are (laughs) yeah 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 i had a I have a wrist rocket. That, that was my sort of apocalypse insurance. Okay. You know what that is? I don't think I do. No. It's a slingshot, but it oh, has a frame okay. and a strap, so it, 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 okay. it's like stabilized by your forearm, uh-huh. and it's um, surgical tubing. Okay. So you can, with a ball bearing or a, oh, wow. or a marble, like you can be pretty accurate at maybe 30 yards. I see. Um, so I figure with that, you don't run out of bullets. I mean, also, that know? sounds fun. It is, is fun. It fun target practice. It is, with and I rocket? and I did dumb things with it as a teenager. I you know Break shot out streetlights and, street and, and yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but now I'm a grown up. I haven't I haven't broken uh, anything with put it. Put away the wrist rocket. Yeah, Got yeah. It. yeah. So uh, you know the other thing I you reminded me of when we were talking about um, visiting intentional communities and you know many of whom of which have failed. Uh, you always hear that, you know, like, ah, it never works. They all fail. They all sure. collapse. And all. Yeah. I was reading some uh, thing. I think it was in the New Yorker recently. It was a survey of the sort of, especially in the 19th century, there was a big surge of intentional communities, okay. you know, um, Oneida community and, mm-hmm. you know, all these different ones. And the, the author made a really good point, which was that about... I think it was about 97% failure rate. It is of intentional yeah, exactly right. Right, mm-hmm. which is pretty much exactly the failure rate of startup companies. Oh, wow. And his point was, nobody ever says, oh, forget the startup company. You know, don't, don't do that. Those don't never work. Oh, wow. You know, we celebrate that. We, we hold that up as, yeah, you know, right, hey, right. yeah, go for it, you right. know. Right. But intentional communities, same failure rate, but oh, that's yeah, ridiculous. So don't even try. Yeah, right. what are you doing? That Isn't never that works. interesting? Yeah. I mean, I get that all the time with people saying, you know, even therapists saying to me, you know, oh, you know, unconventional marriages never work. I see people all the time who, you know, tried to have an open marriage, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, yeah, of course you do. You're a therapist. Sure. The people where it's working aren't coming to your office, you know, like, come on. Well, there's also, there's also the, um, what else have you got? Yeah. 
right? Right. So, okay, what so, are we comparing so it to? So open marriage is uh, playing with fire. It's disaster. Bad idea. Yeah. Um, okay, agreed. Now, what have you got? Right. How's conventional marriage working? Peace, love, and understanding. Like, yeah. just this is all sunshine and light, and there's, you know, it's not like there's cheating or a divorce rate or uh, broken homes or ruined lives or people uh, living together who hate each other. Right. <laughs> Misery. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's none of that. Yeah. Like, that's reserved yeah. for the um, for the open crowd. It's like, right. now I'd like to say, uh, I'm interested in trying. Uh, whatever you got that is better right. or best. Right. You know? And yeah. so, I don't know, I think there's a, you know, we are agents of change and we are pushing envelopes. We being your community yeah. or humans in the general? The people yeah. at the plant, right. the people right. at the bend, uh, my wife Tammy, um, are, we are people that are saying, you know, Okay, so you can't run that in your car. It'll wreck your engine. It's like, oh, really? I've been running it for a decade now. Right. Okay, engine's fine. Right. You know, you can't um, eat on a 100-mile diet. You, you know, you'll get rickets. You'll get scurvy. Huh. You know, you'll die. Oh, really? Drat. I've been eating on a 100-mile diet for a decade now, and... I'm fine. Yeah. You know, and, and so are, are you? Is that something you guys do? Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, everything you eat's grown within 100, 100 miles. Hundred mile diet is actually a snap in huh. North Carolina. It, it was a book um, came out, a couple out in British Columbia. The book is called Plenty, mm. and they basically went and did this sort of science experiment on themselves and mm. and can you grow enough? Can you get enough from your local um, food shed? Even in BC. Well, they tried it in BC, which. You know, I would That's think rough. would be much harder than North Carolina. North right. Carolina year-round farming is a is commonplace and a kind of a piece of cake. But it does mean that you miss, like you know, I miss cashews. You know, mm. and 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 when I'm in California, it's like watch me go for those almonds. Mm. And I also do a hundred-mile diet with cheating. Mm. So cheating is important, cheating is to, important. to any system that's going to work. <laughs> the the 80-20 rule, I think, is really good. You know? Yeah, so if I'm on the road, yeah. then forget it. I'll eat yeah. anything you want to put down. So, you know, the steak that comes from, you know, it packed full of antibiotics and growth hormone coming from the Kansas feedlot, you know, lay it on me because I'm in Cincinnati. Time for a road trip, Tammy. Yeah, just, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting hungry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, we do. We eat very well um, on the 100 mile diet. But it's the yeah. same thing. The, yeah. the, the naysayers right. that say you can't do that. Um, oh, yeah. We, Screech's hydroponic lettuce operation here where he's taking the flue gases that come off of his exhaust from his propane heaters punches it back into the greenhouse to sequester carbon in the lettuce. It's like... Turbocharged greenhouse. Yeah, glad that we didn't listen to the folks who said you couldn't do that. Right. Because it works like a dream, and he turns that greenhouse over every six weeks, and, you know, so... And the guy's name is Screech? His name is Screech, yeah. How do you get a name like Screech? Oh, gosh, so... Um, when you talk to Screech and when he gets excited, oh, um, start. sometimes really? it, it sounds a little screechy. That's hilarious. So he's been nicknamed Screech. That's a great nickname. The, uh, it I, sounds cool and kind of like ridiculing at the same time, yeah, which yeah, is no, just right. Screech is That's a genius, right like salt of the earth type greenhouse yeah. operator that, um, you know, HVAC man, yeah. uh, greenhouse operator, genius grower, and, um, you know, very certain in his opinion. Passionate. 
passionate man. Certain in his opinions. Yeah. I, I mean, a, a nickname should have that affectionate shit-giving quality. I think <laughs> you know, there's something. It should. It shouldn't just be celebratory. There should be a little like, yeah, Edge we know it. you, buddy. You know, <laughs> right. that's great. Right. That's great. So, okay, I, I don't want to take up your whole day here. Okay. I don't know how long we've been going. Almost an hour. Um, but I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast are men in their 20s, I think is probably mm. the biggest demographic. Okay. Uh, yeah, there are plenty of women. We love you ladies, but uh, I think that that's the main. So but basically people in their 20s. And, and what they're doing, as far as I can tell, is they're really hungry for insights into how to design their lives because mm -hmm. they, they're, they're looking at it and they're saying, I'm headed toward a trap. I'm, he I'm a, like a salmon headed for a gill net. I don't want to get caught in that. Right. But I don't know what to do. Should I go to college? But then I'm going to get into debt. And, and what? Am I going to get a degree in sociology? Is that going to help me? Right. You know, what? I, I want to do something that's not bad for the planet, but I need to support myself. Right. I, and so I get a lot of email from people like, dude, how can I do what you did? Like, well, what I did is just a mess. You don't want to do what I did. Right. But what kind of advice do you give to young people? Do you have any insights and because one of the things I say to them is find someone who's doing what it is you want to do and then make yourself valuable to them sure rather than paying a bunch of money to go to a university and going into debt yeah you know um, I mean, what, what were your I thoughts really, on that? I really question the uh, the entire higher education system as we have it today uh, I think when you and I it's a generational thing when you and yeah. I were coming up the Delta between those with a degree versus those without a degree was vast yeah. and it was the best return on investment you could ever make right put it put your money on your ba because once you got it you're going to be so far ahead of the people that went into the trades right. or um you know worked at the factory it yeah. would be night and day um not so anymore right and i mean i literally i, I told my boys many times it's like take your hundred thousand that you're going to blow on your sociology degree. Get a dump truck and a trailer and a backhoe and you will never want for work again. Right. And you'll make, right. you can make a great living for yourself. I mean, right. so, so I think the, I question, you know, coming out saddled with debt, coming out with, um, you know, I have a daughter that's got a $120,000 sociology degree that enables her to, uh, you know, Four coffees at Starbucks. Right. Uh, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Now she happens to be a teacher's assistant in San Francisco. She's managed to build a life. She teaches swimming at the YMCA. Follow the meaning. Right. Follow the meaning. I think is the is the big thing when you're 20. Right. So don't decide to become an engineer because dad's an engineer and go through the general population strategy. Follow what gets you jazzed right get juiced you know and that might be getting up and hoeing a row in the hot sun mm. um and then eating those carrots like there might be more meaning in that right. than in uh you know being a draftsman that draws bridges uh, in afghanistan i think a lot of people go to university in search of community sure right yeah. And, you know, they want to be with people their age who are, you know, getting together and having sex and doing drugs and whatever. Yes. But you can find those people, you can find your community in places that are organized around meaning rather than organized around, you know, socially acceptable financial structures. Uh, I think that's true. I also think socially, in a way, I mean, I lost my son in his second year at um, CU Boulder. 
CU Boulder, the legendary party school. Mm. You know, we celebrate the legendary party schools. I lost my son to a heroin overdose. Um, he was 19. And the trick here is we take 19-year-olds, brains not yet fully developed, <laughs> and we throw them into this soup of college life. Like, let's strip them from their parental supervision and throw them into the mix. Right. And then go ahead, and if you can make it out, then um, you can go start living your life. And yeah. not all of them make it out, which is why, you know, you and I went to a, a wonderful party last night, and had we stopped the show for just one moment and said, um, put up your hands if you're lucky to be alive because of some of the stupid shit you did when you were 19. I'd be willing to venture that all hands would go up. Yeah. You know, and so what a strange thing to take someone who's not fully adult away from their parental units and safety of home yeah. and throw them into a faraway soup of limited supervision, put them with all the other 19-year-olds and let them learn to drink and learn to smoke and yeah. learn to, you know, hit the um, heroin pipe. Yeah strange strange cultural phenomena it is and we do it with with so many of it, I'd have to think about it but it seems like the most important aspects of life we do that same thing you know there there's so many areas for example where the model set up for younger people to learn from older people uh -huh. right and that's the classroom right? right when it comes to sex it's illegal you know, depending on the age difference, <laughs> right. certainly frowned upon. 16 will get you 20. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, so that that's off the table. Uh, and I understand why. I mean, there's sure. some creepiness that yeah, can yeah, yeah. creep into that, of course. But uh, what we do in terms of sex education in the United States is basically say, you know, as if it were driving uh, Ed, we'd be like, here, you two, here are the keys. Go figure out how to drive. Right. And, you know, try not to wreck the car, but I know you probably will because we all do. It's like, that's how we teach them sex? It's a good It's point. crazy. Yeah. Like, nobody sits down. I mean, even, I'm not saying you have to have sex with younger people, but, like, really talking it out. You look at Holland, for example. Sure. Uh, it's typical if a 14-year-old girl or boy has a, you know, lover or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, the parents will invite them over for dinner and they'll spend the night. Mm -hmm. And they'll talk about condoms at the table, yeah, and yeah. you know, you, you're welcome to spend the night. But of course, you guys are going to use. Con oh yeah, we use condoms, and mm -hmm. their pregnancy rate I is know. a fraction. I know. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that you're absolutely right. This this country super uptight, and yeah. okay to the to the let's throw them into the soup. Yeah. Without any supervision. Drugs are bad. Don't do them. Yeah. What? Yeah. Just say Come no. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Just say no. Dr what drugs are we talking about? <laughs> right. You know, you can't throw yeah. them all into one thing. That's right. So now you talk about that soup, and now you talk about young people and preparedness. And yeah. so what do you do? Yeah. It's like here's an idea, go get married. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So now you're married and you're 22. And pick your major. Yeah. Pick your major. What are you going to do the rest of your life, and who are you going to live with the rest of your life? Yeah. That's right. Have I'm fun. 20. With that. Yeah. I know it. I yeah. Know it. It's crazy. You know, I I mean, I, I wasn't going to bring up your son. I didn't know how painful it would be for you to talk about, but uh, Elisa told me the story and how he died just a few weeks before Chris died right. and, yep. like, very tumultuous. And, you know, you're saying 19, but uh, I was in Thailand. Uh, I was in my mid to late 20s, 
and I met these guys and uh, they're two British guys really funny and they were there for the heroin mm. and I thought wow this is my opportunity I've never really wanted to try heroin right. but these guys know what they're doing and you know what the hell it went in Rome right yeah and um, so I smoked some heroin with them and first thing that happened was I had to go vomit uh-huh. and I came back in and they were like oh yeah sorry we forgot to tell you the first time it's normal okay and then I was sitting there and my my jeans were f- covered in sweat sop sopping with sweat uh-huh. I've sweated through my jeans what's going on and I felt really nervous so I said guys I'm just gonna go I'm gonna go to my room I'm not feeling so great okay. and um, I went to my room and I thought I'll just sleep it off the way I slept off other you know too yeah. much weed or too much of this and as I was falling to sleep, I just, some voice, something said, don't sleep. Oh, wow. Lucky you. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And That's how death occurs. And I thought, and years later, I was in a TEFL class uh, with this guy. And the last night of the class, we all went out for a drink. And he and I were chatting for a while. And, and you know, he told me, like, hey, I used to be a junkie. And I said, ah, I tried heroin, you know, in Thailand. And yeah. I had this experience. And he, was, he said, well, how much did you do? And I showed him. And I was like, he said, man, if you had fallen asleep. Right. You're not yeah. getting up. Yeah. I know. Zafer did heroin three times. The first time, the roommate that he did it with threw up and said, this is not for me, and left. Uh, Second time he did it with another roommate who threw up and said, this is not for me, and then left. Third time he did it uh, when he was alone, and that was it. <laughs> so, I mean, sorry, you know, yeah, the point is there's no mentor. Yeah. There's no person to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't, you can't hit the heroin pipe the way you dab your shatter. Yeah, yeah. Because if you do, you'll right. be dead. Right. There, there's no, and so what we should be doing in our schools, <laughs> instead of saying, just say no, we should be saying, this is the chemical path. This is how it kills you. And we should right. be doing it with everything. Right. It's like, okay, Adderall. Right. Adderall is actually yeah. what your dad calls speed. Right. You know, that's why you don't feel like eating, and right. that's why you don't sleep. And so now this is speed. And, and it's nearly identical to methamphetamine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we're going yeah. to, you're going to get this extreme focus, and here's why you're going to be able to do all your homework, and you're going to stay up late, and you're going to be able to, you know, talk fast and so right. on. And, and what we should be doing is whiteboarding out. It's like, all right, cocaine, what is it? Where does it come from? What chemical pathways does it affect? What are yeah. the receptors in the brain? Why does it, you know, where does the sensation come from? Right. Why is it addictive? You know, right. we should be crawling through every Information single... Information is power. Absolutely. Except when it comes to sex and drugs. Right. You know, the two right. things that alcohol. are that are messing up more S- people's lives. Same is true of alcohol. Yeah. It's, well, it's, I consider that drugs. That's sure, part right. Of it's drug. a disgrace. Yeah. It's a freaking disgrace yeah. the way we... Uh, Educate, yes. If we're going to call it that, or yeah, right. or, or prohibit education in right. these cases in America, at least. Anyway, the the whole point of me mentioning this to you is just like you know, I, I know you don't judge him. I know I can see that you've got a healthy understanding of this. But man, I came this close to mm-hmm. right, falling no. off the same ledge myself, and I was five or six years older and had been around the world and right. Luck of the draw. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Listen, man, thank you. You're welcome. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. You're welcome.
thank you for hanging out. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast and are financially able, go to patreon.com and search for Tangentially Speaking. You enter your credit card, tell them you want to give me a buck, five bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 200 bucks, and then they'll just automatically ding your credit card and you don't have to think about it again. Uh, if you don't have uh, the money to do that, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Tell your friends about the podcast, write a review on iTunes, or just enjoy the podcast. It doesn't matter. I want to thank Basin and Range for that intro music. The song's called Bright Side of the Sun. And you can check them out at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast, you can go to Reddit, where there are a few thousand people chatting about the podcast. Uh, I drop in and answer questions, post photos, uh, whatever. Pretty cool community there. Another forum where you can meet fellow listeners to this podcast is at t eight. No, sorry, tspeaking.boardhost.com. This has been set up by a listener to enable people to um, register and uh, their different states and countries so you can find people who live near you, get together, have a beer, smoke a bowl, eat some mushrooms, dance under the moonlight, however you celebrate these things. You'll find uh, like-minded spirits on that. It's Again, it's tspeaking.boardhost.com. Dot com. And uh, if you want to get some T-shirts, we have the Civilized to Death shirts, Sex at Dawn shirts, Tangentially Speaking shirts. They're all in my mom's garage. She will get them out to you in a jiffy. Julie, my mom, is one of the most efficient people you will ever meet. So you can find those on my website. That Chris Ryan, chrisryanphd.com, tangentiallyspeaking.com, whatever. You'll find them. Just look in the store there. If you want to buy some other T-shirts from the same manufacturer, that's Shore Design T shirts they are fantastic i know i say this is an ad free podcast uh and this could be construed as an ad but sure design t-shirts have been supporting this podcast since its inception bennett who was the dude there decided he was going to support the podcast he sent me a bunch of shirts uh at an extreme discount to uh, help us out since bennett died the people who took over sure design t-shirts.com uh have decided to continue giving us the same deal that bennett gave us so be sure to use the discount code CTD, as in civilized to death, when you order anything from them and you'll get 20%, two zero, 20% off your entire order. That's the discount code CTD, and that's at suredesigntshirts.com. Thank you to Carsey Blanton for the song you're about to hear. You can check her out at carseyblanton.com. She performed this little ditty, especially for us. Sounds like she was sitting in her garage. You can hear the birds chirping. The song is called Smoke Alarm, and it's a reminder to live now because you're going to die one day. This is for you guys, Bennett and Justin. Miss you. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say. 
to the ground. 